I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. I'm here in my closet recording far, far away from my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Hey, Matt. How's your quarantine week going? Oh, you know, I started going back to Starbucks again for the first time. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Yeah, it's been three months, so my caffeine levels are wildly off the charts. (laughs) My body has no idea what's happening to it right now. Yeah, it's probably unsafe. I'm, I'm drinking near fatal levels of caffeine, but necessary in these times. How about you? How was your quarantine week? Oh, um, so for about the past week, almost every single night, there is a man in my neighborhood who walks around playing the recorder not very well <laughs> um, for long periods of time. And it is bringing about a new type of psychosis for me. And I'm pretty sure that it's a sign of the apocalypse. So that is what I'm dealing with this week. Good. Um, I have I have a secret. What? It's me. Oh, my God. That's great to know because then I feel better about absolutely punching you in the face. <laughs> the, one of the nights credit. that it happened, it was like he he like took a couple nights off and then he came back and someone just screamed from the window, "No!" <laughs> we should drop a clip of the man playing. Do you have it saved on your phone? Oh, I do. I do have the video. So, here's a little taste into what I've been hearing almost every night. Honestly, not as bad as I expected. I know. It's not like he's clearly not like a child learning how to play the recorder. But also, like, if you get it even just a little bit wrong, it sounds like a cat dying. So, (laughs) yeah, the recorder is one of those instruments where, like, it's a torture device. There are there's if you if you wanted to drive someone insane, the recorder is the instrument you would choose. And here I am going insane. (laughs) Well, we better get to it then before he comes back and starts railing on that recorder (laughs) and messing us all the fuck up. So today's episode, we'll kick things off as always with Worst Things First, where I chat about the stupidest, most ridiculous worst news of the week. After that, we're going to dive deep into all of the icons that we'd like to formally recommend to replace all all the statues of the racist assholes that are coming down. Yeah. Columbus, Mr. Mr. Christopher is shaking. And then we're going to get into an interview with the amazing writer, host, and producer, Sylvia Obel. She's on the pod. You've seen her work on BuzzFeed, in Essence, and she hosts the new Netflix podcast, OK Now Listen. And just for some context, we did record this interview like uh, a month ago, and it's finally here. We're finally putting it out. And finally, we've got our new segment, Do Better White People, where we highlight some of the uh, anti-racism resources and actions that we're taking and that you can take uh, to keep learning and unlearning and ultimately, you know, 
be a better ally. And then, of course, we got our chaser. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's topple those statues and start the show. All right. Worst things first. Let's talk about the worst news of the week. First, authorities in Kansas shut down an area around a creek while they tried to catch a five-foot-long alligator Mm -mm. in Kansas in the middle of the fucking country. I don't don't understand how this works. I actually had to pull up a map to find out where (laughs) Kansas was. (laughs) Actually true. Because I was like, wait, is Kansas one of those places where I like think is in the middle but is actually close to Florida? No, it's not. It's, It's smack dab in the middle of the country. And there's an alligator on the loose. And it is believed to be one of two alligators stolen from a pet store in in a nearby town, the town of Manhattan, Kansas, which is just like, all right, (laughs) chill out. (laughs) Manhattan, really, Kansas? First of all, there's like two cities in Kansas. So the fact that you're naming one of them Manhattan, it feels like you're you're getting a little ahead of yourselves. Okay, why why don't you come? Why don't you why don't you name your town Manhattan when you have more people than than fucking tornadoes? Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I said it. Sick burn. I don't know, I'm severely out of it right now. <laughs> if you're listening, you better vastly lower your expectations about how funny I can be today. Uh, yeah, anyway, Kansas, best known for fucking destroying Dorothy's house and her, her little farm with her with her dumbass dog and her, her tablecloth dress. Well, I see you, bitch. Have fun in Oz with all the Oompa Loompas. You're dancing down your fucking road all because you you couldn't follow the advice and get downstairs with the rest of your family you had to stay upstairs with your dumbass dog you know that she definitely would be for opening up businesses right now (laughs) dorothy absolutely would not follow the rules For sure. Anyway, so uh, yeah, uh, apparently two alligators were stolen from a pet store in Manhattan, Kansas, one of which was seen by a man walking along a park trail. Uh, He called 911 and uh, animal control officers showed up. Why are there even animal control officers in Kansas? What animals are in Kansas? Here's another question. Why are alligators being sold as pets? <laughs> yeah. Also, the name of the pet store is Manhattan Reptile World. What is happening in Kansas? <laughs> that is my nightmare type of store. My nightmare. Yeah. Manhattan Reptile World. So, yeah, they had to come in, close down the trails. Um, They set alligator traps overnight in hopes of catching it. And they said that they don't know how the alligator made it into the creek or whether the other alligator that was stolen is also on the loose. I I feel like they should have a better grasp of how many alligators are in this state. (laughs) Where There's no water in Kansas. There's absolutely zero water. (laughs) Except for that one creek. Except for that creek, I guess. But now it's closed. So that's it. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. This is beyond my expertise. But here's the thing. I, I, I know Kansas is literally in the middle of the country. Um, now I know that after looking at a map. But I still I still blame Florida. I still somehow believe this is their fault. Next. Speaking of things that I blame Florida for. 
people in South Florida are bracing for an invasion of cane toads, which is a species of terrifying amphibians that produce a milky white toxin Mm-mm. said to be fatal to dogs and cats. So guess what? Hide your, hide your dogs, hide your cats, because we got uh, an invasive species of toxic toads up in here. Milky white toxin. Nothing good is milky yeah. white. I just want to say that. Oh, the word milky yeah, to describe a venom. <laughs> never good. Uh Yeah, so the state's Fish and Wildlife Commission warns that the toad's venom, which is uh, secreted from its back. Mm -mm. Things should not be secreted from a back. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. (laughs) Oh, God, I hadn't read that part before. (laughs) How does it does it? I'm guessing uh, it doesn't. It doesn't like uh, eject it. It must be like if it gets eaten or it's like basically sweat. I mean, like my back gets really sweaty, but I wouldn't describe it as like a milky white toxin, but it definitely is like sweatier than it should be at most times. Yeah, I I would not eat you uh, <laughs> under any circumstances, but especially not after that information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is even the point of it's like, OK, the point I guess the point is you have a toxic back. So if a predator eats you and then and then you die, it's like um Oh, oh, go tell your friends not to eat my my friends because this is what'll happen. But it's like, guess what, dumbass? You're dead. <laughs> you got eaten. So what's the point? Oh, you did all of this just to save other people, other frogs? I don't think so. Is that why Mr. Toad wears a little jacket and vest is to keep his little toxins in? Yeah, because he's not a, a, a suicide toad. Remember when we went on the Mr. Toad ride at Disneyland? I'll never forget it. And it's literally about dying and going to hell. It was. And you know what? We soon got into hell because quarantine happened right after that. (laughs) It was a premonition. Uh, Here's the absolute worst part. Despite their ability to strike down your pets in mere minutes, the University of Florida suggests that homeowners kill the toads in a humane fashion and here's how they suggest you humanely kill this frog toad excuse me experts suggest knocking the toad out by spraying a 20 percent benzocaine toothache gel what? or sunburn spray on them so just take out your toothache gel mm-hmm. take out your sunburn spray and i'm sorry um, who calls it sunburn spray what is sunburn <laughs> spray that's not sunscreen right <laughs> no, I think it's like what you put on after you've burnt. Okay. As an extremely pale person who burns <laughs> fairly easily, I feel like I should have known about this. Isn't it just called aloe? Yeah, that's what I thought too. But I think Florida has like a different set of weapons for protecting themselves against the sun. Only in Florida. I guess so. Uh, but after you spray the toad and knock them out, they suggest that you scoop it into a plastic bag and then put it in a freezer for a day or two until it dies. Near my ice cream? How no. is that humane? <laughs> well, you knock this little guy out and then absolutely suffocate it and freeze it to death. Yeah. Not, I don't want to give you a, uh, a nice, quick, painless death. I want you to freeze for two days in the Arctic depths of my freezer next to my Hot Pockets and McConnell's ice cream. <laughs> and finally, 
the Mayans are at it again. Okay, the Mayan calendar was originally believed to have reached its end on December 21st, 2012. Remember that? Remember when we hoped that the world would end eight years ago? Uh, Oh, if only it had. Really, we could have escaped so much. (laughs) In case you forgot, the Mayan calendar was thought to have ended in 2012. And a lot of conspiracy theorists were like, well, when the Mayan calendar ends, the world is going to end. But unfortunately, the world did not end when the Mayan calendar did. Um, But now some scientists, some nerd on Twitter, he was like, uh, actually, this is this is he's an actually bro. Mm -hmm. He says um, that the Mayan calendar had 11 days fewer per year so that we've actually been counting wrong this whole time. And if you take out 11 days per year for like, I don't know, 5,000 years or whatever, that actually adds up to about eight years, which would be the difference between 2012 and 2020, meaning the new date in which the Mayan calendar actually ends is June 21st, 2020, a.k.a. this Sunday. You know what? Bring it fucking on. You know what else? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. You know what else? That man playing the recorder on my street is (laughs) definitely bringing about the apocalypse now. Just one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, absolutely, (laughs) is a man playing a recorder on horseback, riding from the depths of hell to bring about the end of the world. Anyway, according to NASA, which I guess is the governmental agency responsible for (laughs) responding to conspiracies about the end of the Mayan calendar, I I don't know why. In response to the actually guy, they were like, actually, actually, um, it was originally predicted for May 2003. But when nothing happened then, everyone was like, oh, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll push it back to 2012. So it's wishful thinking is their point. Don't get your hopes up that the world is actually going to end because we've been through this already. We've gotten our heart broken before. So get ready for it. (laughs) Anyway, I guess we'll see come Sunday. If we're still here, we'll see if there's an episode next week. And that's it for this week's Worst Things First. Next, we're diving deep into all the statues we need to erect. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. dive. All right. So among the bajillion things that are happening in the world right now, like, I don't know, a pandemic, a revolution against the police state. Oh, and and the fact that Harry Styles had to push his uh, tour back until 2021. Uh All of the terrible things in the world right now. Uh, Amongst all of those things is also a national, um, I guess, global reckoning over statues. Because surprise, surprise, a lot of white people are upset that people want to take down statues of slave owners and colonizers and pee-pee-poo-poo Confederate army generals who lost the Civil War. Yeah, take that, Confederate army generals, you (laughs) pee-pee-poo-poo on you. (laughs) Uh, and but and they were like, oh, but it's our history. Despite the fact that no person in history has ever learned anything ever from a statue. Okay. I still think the only thing you learn from statues is how terrible the local pigeon population's diet is. Oh, God. Because those demons be pooping. <laughs> Besides, you know what people do to statues? 
that, oh, that Wall Street Bull statue is one of the most iconic statues in New York. And you know what people do to it? What? They rub his dangly statue balls, <laughs> which are now extra shiny because of how much they've been rubbed. <laughs> that's that's what people do to statues. Okay. That's what people are whining over that. Oh, you're taking down my statue. The point is statues are not about learning history. Okay. That's what history books and the back of cereal boxes are for. Amen. No. Statues are fancy sculptures that we put up to honor our heroes. And the fact is, some people need reminding who our true heroes actually are. So today's deep dive is a list of suggestions for who we should be honoring with our statues. And I expect the National Hall of Statues in the U.S. Capitol building to have all of these suggestions erected by the end of the week, or I, I will march on Washington myself. Matt? What? I'll be right there with you. <laughs> our, it'll be our two man and woman march. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into it. First, erect a statue of the Keebler elves. Okay, these are the true heroes. You know what they do every single day is they mind their fucking business and they make their fucking cookies. <laughs> And every day, they risk their lives operating combustible ovens inside of a dry, hollow tree in order to produce cookies for us. That is bravery. What do they get paid in, even? Nothing. They don't need it. They don't do it for the money. This is a commune that they live in. They're not, they're not capitalists. The Keebler elves are socialists. It's basically a kibbutz. Yeah. Next statue, Captain Crunch. Okay, talk about a military hero. Captain Crunch has, has been out here risking his life. He is a naval captain. His full name, by the way, Horatio Magellan Crunch. Okay. He captains a ship called the Guppy. <laughs> I don't know why this man exists. Um, he was born on Crunch Island, which wow. is a magical island off the coast of Ohio. What? What? <laughs> What coast of Ohio? Oh God! So he he does. I mean, there has been there has been some disputed facts about like what level of naval rank that Captain Crunch actually holds. He's like the number of what do you call it? Like epaulets. I I believe the the technical term is. Oh right, yes, yes. The the little pins. Yeah, the like gold shoulder things. The little brooches. Um, the, the number of them may not actually match the rank of captain. He's captain, not captain. So he has the right amount of ranks for captain. <laughs> right. If you drop the T-A-I, <laughs> you, you might get a few less epaulets. It's fine. He also wears a Napoleon style hat, which has fed claims that he may actually be French. I love, I love a mystery. He's a, he's a man who says, I'm going to give you some delicious cereal. But I'm not going to tell you everything about my life. You don't have to know. You just know that I'm a hero and also a genius because it's also been reported that he has a perfect 200 IQ. Oh, my God. <laughs> These are all I'm not making any of this up. These are all real facts about the real, real person of uh, Horatio Magellan Crunch born off of the coast of Ohio. I mean, I already know more about him than I do about Napoleon. And I have no regrets about that. <laughs> yeah. I do love Captain Crunch. It's been a while since I've had it. I remember when they introduced a version of Captain Crunch where it was 
the little yellow square normal Captain Crunch, but then also there was like balls in it. Groundbreaking. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like the little fruity balls. They're like, don't worry. This is also nutritious. (laughs) (laughs) Feeding children absolute deliciousness uh, since the beginning of time. Since his birth, since he crossed the ocean, since he crossed the sea of milk in a a ship called Guppy. Next, how about the lesbian Eminem? I was actually, yeah. Shiro, Uh, Shiro. Truly a Shiro. Uh, Eminem's, the Eminem's have been through quite a journey. Uh, And I was actually looking this up. May 29th, 2017, the Eminem's Twitter account tweeted out a photo of the green and brown M&Ms, both of them women, you can tell because they have eyelashes. Right, yes. <laughs> Which is, of course, the biblical difference between a man and a woman is <laughs> having um, fancy eye- eyelashes. That's also how you can tell um, the gender of cars is whether or not they have those plastic eyelashes above the headlights. Right. Also, the brown one is wearing high heels and the green one is wearing thigh-high boots. This is all a long way of saying that the most important part of this photo is that the green M&M has her hand very seductively on the brown M&M's upper leg. They are absolutely in in a relationship. They're absolutely (laughs) fucking. This photo is a, a, a very romantic seaside photo. I would even go so far as to say that one of the other M&M's also a lesbian is taking this photograph and that they're in a, a radical open relationship thruple polyamorous polyamorous relationship full of love so just know that every time that you eat a mouthful of m&ms you are consuming queer culture and we should be erecting an m&m statue in their honor next speaking of other feminist icons Sandy from SpongeBob, one of the rare, I would say, per- perhaps the only squirrel that I will ever tolerate. <laughs> Sandy, Sandy Cheeks, an absolute icon, a Texas hero, a woman in STEM. Yeah, one of the, one of the few good things to come out of Texas, I would say, mm-hmm. a scientist, an explorer, a genuine good person. Okay, she had to deal with so much shit. She was trying to go to the moon and you had SpongeBob and Patrick come in and fuck everything up and nearly destroy half of Bikini Bottom. And Sandy very easily could have given up, but she stayed. She stayed in the depths of Bikini Bottom doing what she could for the world and for science and for exploration, despite everything that she had to put up with. And also, not to make this about her body, but she was rocking that bikini. (laughs) always so like when you say women can't have it all you're lying and this is why we need to erect monuments that honor these heroes uh let's see who else should we be erecting statues of um how about charles entertainment cheese aka chucky cheese i don't know if you knew his full name is charles entertainment cheese oh my god i did not yeah he checks so many boxes, okay? He's a band leader, a small business owner, a pizza chef. He's He does it all. And he keeps a smile on his face the whole time. And sure, he may have been uh, the product of an ancient curse that a, wi- <laughs> a witch placed on his family. 
<laughs> and it's to turn into a, a terrifying anthropomorphic rat to haunt children who are just trying to enjoy a playhouse and an arcade. Truly nothing is more terrifying than just trying to sit there and, and, and enjoy your pizza in between running around in a ball pit than seeing a giant robotic rat emerge from the depths of a smoky stage you didn't realize was there 10 minutes ago and just uh, uh, perform an absolutely horrific display of music while you're trying to eat. But also, like, look what he did with that curse, you know? Like, he could have stayed underground, but he said, no, look at me. <laughs> love me. Let me love you. Yeah, and he's he does it. I also uh, heard something this week that said um, that Chuck E. Cheese, obviously, they've been, they've been closed because absolutely ground zero for coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Just every Chuck E. Cheese. They, they were like, rest assured, you can order our pizza and we will deliver it. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Like, if anybody is like, oh, you know what I'm really craving right now? A Chuck E. Cheese pizza. <laughs> Even though I'm not going to lie, like, when you are absolutely exhausted from running around spending thousands of dollars on uh, a, a machine that has scammed you out of your all of your money with absolutely no no prospect of winning any sort of real prize, you're sweaty, you're dehydrated. That w- was the best tasting pizza ever. Out of context, out of that context, absolute disgusting, <laughs> like Chernobyl radiation <laughs> growth. But you know what else is important to keep in mind about Chuck E. Cheese? What? Charles Entertainment Cheese walked so that Remy and Ratatouille could fucking run. You love Remy. <laughs> <laughs> you truly do. I mean, am I wrong? Um, No. Next, the Kool-Aid man. Talk about a beacon of positivity, a beacon of anti-capitalist destruction, a beacon of hope, really, for a delicious, vaguely fruit-tasting sugar water. And finally, Air Bud. I mean, talk about breaking boundaries. Talk about absolutely blowing. Like, can you, just to think, before our lifetimes, there had never been a dog on a basketball and any major sports team. Yeah. Also, it should be noted, um, really, Airbud couldn't actually do anything on his own. He was really only good for an assist. <laughs> um, but that's an important part of the team. Yeah. I mean, he was a team player. I'll give him that. And he did have a very difficult upbringing. He was raised by that clown or whatever, um, you know. I got to be real with you. I actually don't think I've ever seen any of the Airbud movies. <laughs> But I think about him every single day. That is shocking. Yeah. I know. But it's for people like you who ignore history that we need to (laughs) erect these monuments for so that you learn you're forced to confront it. So anyway, Arabad, I do believe, is one of our universal heroes. So shout out to Arabad and to all of these icons for breaking boundaries and for reminding us what what true heroism is like, not not the Christopher Columbuses or the Robert E. Lees and the other pee pee poo poo Confederates. Okay, these are the people that we should be honoring, and I stand by every single one of them. And I expect results, Congress. And on that note, that is it for this week's deep dive. Next, 
We got our interview with Sylvia O'Bell that we recorded many weeks ago. And then do better, white people, right after this commercial break. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest Who Liberty stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully, no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. My guest complainer this week is entertainment and culture journalist, writer, host, producer, Sylvia O'Bell. She's written for Essence and BuzzFeed. She hosts BuzzFeed News' Hella Opinions, and she co-hosts Netflix's new podcast, newest podcast, OK Now Listen. Welcome to the pod, Sylvia. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. What a what a stacked resume. You know, I tried. And now, as we were saying before... <laughs> Yeah, you're a, you're a podcast engineer now, as we all are from our home Zoom podcast studios. Right, like I can completely set up a studio. It's it's going on the resume, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, to get us going, we like to start by asking, what is one thing you hate that everybody else loves? Hmm, okay, so one thing I hate that everybody else loves, or at least most people love. Uh huh. Is Friends, the sitcom. <laughs> okay, I, okay, yes. Even though I do feel like friends. in more recent years, the light has come to a lot of people about Friends' issues. Right. But growing up, like with Friends being like peak everybody's favorite and me, a girl from New Jersey who's very close to New York City, trying to figure out how there is not one Dominican on any corner... <laughs> Of the friend set or person of color in any kind of way was just always, you know, it was like I used to joke. I'm like, did you know that Friends was a sci-fi show? It's a sci-fi show about a New York City where only white people are. And um, I while I love Jennifer Aniston, like the, the just as much as the next girl, because I really do. Uh-huh. I cannot stand behind a show that was a complete copy of a show called Living Single where black mm-hmm. about black friends living in New York City 
where they couldn't even put not one black person. Like, if you're going to copy a black show, like, at least get some black people a job over it. Like, like right. at least get the, the <laughs> you know, like, the token black friend, the neighbor that could pop by. Like, it's ridiculous. So, that, right, that is right. my issue. That is my, that's my semi-rant about how Ross and them did Queen Latifah and them, and I've really never forgiven them about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've only, my experience of Friends episodes are just through the people whose houses I was at when it was on versus like me watching it myself. <laughs> so like it was on enough okay. where I've seen episodes from sure. every season. But have I watched the complete? No, I have not. <laughs> I think in 10 seasons, there was one black character, right. Aisha Tyler, who was, <laughs> who was like... like pretty white in that show. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely... She might as well be white. And it like definitely was in the later seasons when I guess they started to realize right. like, oh, wait, I guess we've heard from the blacks that like they don't they feel erased from this very urban, diverse city of New York. And I right. guess we should figure, we should put at least one in. And it's like, <laughs> but you know, it's a tale, you know, friends sure. is, Friends were really a trailblazer in that way. I mean, we have, you know, the Marvelous Midge. What's the, uh, what's the, I love that show too. The Marvelous, because um, you know Amy show. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Mar- yeah. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is a show I love. And thank God they finally hired Sterling K. Brown and some other blacks this past season. Because they also had a whitewash New York City and right. um, girls on HBO, another show where New York City was suddenly white. I mean, the it's a tale as old as time. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, all of those shows, like Sex in the City too. Yeah, Sex like, in the, the City. New York is like one of the characters of the show, and it's like, <laughs> is it? Because it? it doesn't look anything like New York. Uh, you also had there was a, another thing that you hate that everyone else loves. Yes, um, this is a food one. It's so hard for me to say it because this is one I am truly ashamed of hating while everybody else loves. And I'm constantly like looking around and wanting to be like, okay, guys, can you hear me if I say it like this? I don't know. I'm going to like kind of whisper it because I don't want to lose my black car over this, but it's grits. (laughs) I don't like grits. And (laughs) it's okay. It's really painful. Like, I feel like every time I say I don't like grits, my ancestors scream. (laughs) from above but it's really more of a texture it's a texture thing for me right that is always my defense it's more of a texture thing like it's not even about the humongous debate that you know will never end about what you put on grits from sugar or salt or butter or like there's like always those topping debates it doesn't really matter what i've tried y'all i have tried but i can't do it and i i just don't like mushy things like i don't like oatmeal I don't like porridge. Yeah. Like, I don't like things where I can't decide if I'm supposed to chew or drink it. Like, I don't like orange <laughs> juice with pulp. Like, I just, you know, it's like, it's a very, I'm very like, am I drinking this or am I eating this? And anything in between is a little, I don't like mushy stuff. Right, right. I mean, I think I'm a pretty safe person to uh, <laughs> to confess this to. So this is a safe space. Uh, somewhere there's a black woman listening, screaming. <laughs> And, un- and pressing the unfollow button on my Twitter account because I can I tell you, Matt, let me tell you how the shame goes, though, because I have to I have to break it down into this one story where I think it's clear what the experience is like as a black woman who does uh-huh. not like grits. I was in Atlanta having brunch, as one does when you're in Atlanta. And in yeah. the South, grits is basically like home fries. You know, what I mean, like it's on the side of everything right. that 
every order. So a lot of the times I have to like, you know, I'm looking at this meal and I would like this meal. I would like everything that's a part of this meal except for the grits. So, you know, when the waiter comes and you're kind of like, can I just um, swap the grits for another side? Uh-huh. Um, so I asked this and the waiter was like, oh, why? What's wrong? Our grits here are amazing. Like, we can put whatever toppings on it you like. And I was like, no, I just would like to switch it out. Like, I was trying to not have to do what I knew where this was going. Right. And then finally, he, but he was, like, not budging, though. He was like, no, like, you have to try these grits. They're great. So then finally, I kind of looked around and I kind of whispered, I don't like grits. And the waiter said back, <laughs> You don't like grits. <laughs> and then the whole <laughs> restaurant <laughs> turned and looked at me in shame and just disgust. And I just like wanted to grab my purse and run back to the city because <laughs> I've never been so ashamed in my life. <laughs> well, yeah, that is a traumatic experience. And uh, I'm sorry that you were you were you were triggered in that way. Yeah, that is an aggressive waiter. <laughs> But he 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 knew what he was doing, and he wanted you to apologize. <laughs> he did. He was like, not not in this. He said, not in Georgia. You're not allowed to not like grits. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the law. You basically spit <laughs> on Georgia. Yeah. Uh, tell me where you are in the world. Like, how is your how is your quarantine going? How is your how is your pandemic been? <laughs> um, it's been groovy. No, I'm kidding. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> I am. But yeah, that is. There's no like great answer to this question. No, I'm I'm in New York. I'm in Brooklyn. Are you in Brooklyn? Or am I assuming you're in no? Brooklyn? I live in in Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, you're. You know what? I'm so sorry. So I'm in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> Almost forgot who I was I think... talking to. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I feel the need to apologize whenever I say I live no, in Manhattan. Don't you apologize for your success to anybody, Matthew. Okay. <laughs> Send them to me if they try I'll to I'll be moving back to Brooklyn. Um, but no, I, um, I'm in Brooklyn. You know, basically all of New York is the epicenter for this. So like we're all really in it. And for me... I really have not been playing with my girl Dorona like everybody else has. I think like people keep acting like Dorona takes off of work when it's a weekend or a holiday or like a nice temperature outside because she also wants to go to happy hour in the park or whatever the kids want to do. And it's like, <laughs> no, girl, Dorona is working 24-7. And she's like, right. she's not taking any days off, not even Memorial Day weekend. So like I have been in the house. Like, in the house. Like, I don't even go to run errands. Like, I... Yeah. Because it's New York City and you can't... Unless you have a car, there's really no safe way to run an errand. Because I think, you know, obviously I'm never, I'm not getting on the subway. And... Right. Ride shares are just that. There's no safe way to for me to feel like I can get around unless I can walk. And I know some people have been wiping down the city bicycles and like bicycling, which is like, I guess the next safest option. But also right. bicycle riding in New York City has always been an extreme sport. And I've seen lots of casualties <laughs> from it. So that might get you got faster than the coronavirus in this city, the way the buses whip around in the city. But I had so I have yeah. basically been having my groceries delivered, having everything delivered to my door. Mm -hmm. I've maybe I've gone to my bodega like twice on the corner because literally on the corner but i actually i was thinking yeah. about the i've been in the house since like march 7th 
I think that's the last week that I went oh out. And like, I remember even work was right. still going on that next week. And I told them, I was like, once they called that state of emergency, I was like, oh, so I'm not, I'm not coming in. Like, because I also have asthma. So I have to be like, this is a respiratory yeah. disease. So I'm also trying to be like, just very cautious about it. So, um, yeah, I have been in the house, but you know what the craziest thing about it is, is that it hasn't been as hard for me. I think like, I'm definitely a social person, but I'm like an introvert in the way where I recharge when I'm alone. Right. I think the chance to just sit still and just be able to like not have to do the like every time you leave your door in New York City, it is an it is work <laughs> just to get from point A to point B to everything. And to have a break from all of that, both mentally and physically, has actually been kind of enjoyable for me. To me, it's only like I love that I've been able to read more. I love that I this happened to me when I actually like my apartment. Had this happened to me in my early 20s. <laughs> I might not have felt the same way, <laughs> but I like that I can uh-huh. like, you know, have my space and that I enjoy it and I can have like just peace and quiet and I can cook things. And like, like you said, like certain things that take my mind off of stuff. And that's all been great. The only issue was like the existential crisis of it all where I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't never not leave my apartment again. So what's like, so what's the plan right. when there's no vaccine or how am I going to meet a man in this economy? Like, like, will I be able to have a wedding when I do? Will grandma be able to come? Like, there's just so many, like, bigger yeah. questions where I'm like, wait, if I have kids now, does that mean they have? I have to homeschool too? Is that like a joint decision? Like, those are the things that have me messed up, but. <laughs> right, right. Wait, have you been, like, swiping on the apps or I, I don't know what you were doing pre so i've i've never been a fan of the apps and my friends get on me about this but i definitely do think that dating apps are in my experience the the couple times i hop on and hop off swiftly is it's mostly Uh men who just want to have sex um which you know whatever works for you (laughs) like no shame in it i'm Um, just like some of us are not looking for that on the app you know what i mean and then i also feel like for some reason, the kind of men that feel bold enough to reach out to me on the apps are never really the quality kind of men I'm looking for. Like, they all kind of look like they have a secret second family in the Bronx somewhere or like, <laughs> or like, you know, like, it's just really or like, it's like they don't really they're very vague about like what they do or where they are. Like You know, it's just very like, it's just not quality. And I'm also somebody where I'm so busy that. It's hard for me to want to engage in like chat text conversation with somebody when I've never had like a physical spark with them. So like for me, just the way I operate off of attraction, dating apps are kind of counterintuitive because like for me, if I'm at a bar or at a kickback or something and I see somebody and like we like, you know, make eyes or like have a little moment and then now I'm like attracted to them and we exchange numbers and now we're texting. Now I'm all like giddy about it. Like, oh, he hit me up and oh, oh my God. But like to do that in reverse, like it's just my inbox full of people who I never message back and they're mad at me about it. And I'm like, I don't even know you. I had to call my mom. Why am I explaining this to you? 
<laughs> yeah. No, it is it is weird. I was talking about this with someone else because I've had really good conver- like messages with people mm-hmm. and then I'm like, "Oh, they're actually like a really good texter, a really good like there's like a good back and forth." And then I meet them in person and they're like a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> or they're like on their phone the entire time and I'm like, "Oh, that's why you're good at responding right. is because you're completely not present in your real life." That's what I'm saying. And the amount of messages I was getting the first couple of weeks of this was wild to me because I'm like, yeah. oh, you want to sit here and talk about what my favorite date is? Is is the world ending? Like, I just couldn't I couldn't <laughs> comprehend flirting while I was panicking. Like, I was like, I just I had to delete the whole thing because I literally was like, I don't know what my favorite my favorite color is a vaccine for the coronavirus. That is my favorite color. Like, that, like I just <laughs> didn't have time for the small talk. Like, I just couldn't do it let's make it a, a 180 a shift right you write a whole bunch and, and uh, comment a whole bunch on pop culture like what was your pop culture awakening origin story like how did you decide this is kind of what you wanted to engage with hmm um that's an interesting question i think i'm so i'm first gen so my parents are Kenyan. Mm-hmm. They both came here separately for college and met here when they were in college. Um, and I'm maybe one of four or five out of like 80 first cousins who were born in America, right? So we're like the like the small fraction of us who were actually American born. And I think for me, growing up as um, a Kenyan American where there was really both sides of it was true. I ne- like my gr- I grew up a very like as like perceived as a black American. That was a real thing. Mm-hmm. But my parents did not have that experience, right? Because that's not how they grew up. So I think a lot of the cultural things that are maybe passed down through parents in a lot of black households, I had to learn through pop culture. So like for mm-hmm. example, you know, watching shows like A Different World was the first time I found out what an HBCU was, what historically black college university was. My parents didn't know what it was either. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, okay, there's this whole world where there's students where it's like, actually, it's a black university and this is what's happening. That's so crazy. Or like watching like shows like Sister, Sister and like people are pledging. And I'm like, what's pledging? There's black Greek organizations? Cool. Or like listening to like, miseducation of Lauren Hill and learn like and learning through albums like that about like what I'm going to experience growing up black in America versus what my parents experienced growing up black in a place where racism was not an issue. So like hip hop mm-hmm. and TV and back movies, those things really informed my blackness. That's what I had to kind of lean on to learn about who I was as a black woman in America. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of where my deep interest and just like knowledge base of it came from because I literally was not just experiencing it but I was studying it and learning from it and when you do that you also can't help but realize how much it informs the rest of pop culture and so to me what was always so interesting was like then also realizing like how much it informs how much black culture is pop culture but how much pop culture does not acknowledge that in reverse. Right. I think that whole dichotomy is like kind of what brought my interest into writing about that kind of dichotomy. And like that's, mm-hmm. you know, like where you get stories where like I'm able to, you know, look at things like Little Richard dying and like seeing how like he ranked below every artist that he inspired. 
in rock and roll and like seeing right. seeing that and seeing that be erased by like self-proclaimed being added to the headlines or like how I'm able to see everybody root for Black China when <laughs> she gets pregnant by Rob Kardashian and be like why and everybody's asking themselves why do I care so much that like about this silly issue and me being like well I know I can I can tell why because I'm literally always paying attention to how pop culture ignores black culture and the people who inform it. So it's really about the Kardashians being beat at their own game and then me writing that story and it resonating with so many people. Like right. that is like always been my way about it. It informs my blackness and my experiences, but it also allows me to see how much it is a political thing. Like pop culture is political. It's societal. It's a lens of society. Like who we allow to be famous speaks to where we are as a society and I, I'm so fascinated by that endlessly. So that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah, <laughs> just you know, just that small, just the, small. What's place so funny because I literally you. started speaking and had no idea what I was gonna say, and then like it really all came out, and I was like, I was like, damn, that is why I do this, isn't it? Like it was one of those moments. <laughs> No, that what a profound answer. Mine is mine is nowhere near as profound, but <laughs> yeah, I do remember you wrote that piece on on Black China that was like huge. Yeah, that was like my first and viral I, story. I feel like people often write off the work of BuzzFeed writers as like ugh, BuzzFeed is it's still no matter no matter <laughs> what when someone references BuzzFeed, it's like listicles and cat videos. Right. But that was like a fully written out piece. Yeah, it was like that, four thousand like, words. <laughs> I couldn't believe that people yeah. read four thousand words. Like I was like, wow, like at that rate. I mean, I think at the time, <laughs> not to brag, but <laughs> it was <laughs> no, 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 it was brag. like the biggest. Like Said had just started the reader culture section, and that was like the biggest story of that year. Like it's it was like their first story to go that viral. But it was also proof to like. Ben Smith and like you know other people like oh these are the kind of things that like we can capitalize on in that way because you know but listen BuzzFeed got its issues but it was definitely a story <laughs> where like yeah we should say that yeah <laughs> it's, you know it's to be said but it, it was definitely the kind of story where I knew I had worked in other newsrooms and I knew that wasn't the kind of story that I may have been allowed to write in other places it was like a fun piece to be able to do at that time and I think like it's probably one of my favorite genres of culture writing to see how people like will take an issue where you don't even have to speak to black China. Like I didn't speak to her. And like I like stories sometimes where it's like you're writing around it and not really like having to base it on what that person is telling you because a lot of times the PR machine feeds what they're in limits, what their answers are. So it's sometimes it's even more interesting to just write about it from your perspective. But I think that's definitely a thing I didn't really realize I could do prior to working there. Yeah. Okay, so we have some other stuff that you sent over that we have to rant about. Um, My favorite is the first one, because hardcore agree, (laughs) (laughs) which is the fact that Beyonce has never won Artist of the Year. Oh, girl. I just... (laughs) I mean, really nobody said it better than the British ambassador of the Beehive, Adele, when, you know, she got on uh-huh. that stage and almost basically in Mean Girl fashion ripped apart her Grammy and threw it to Beyonce like, <laughs> you're a winner and you're a winner because she knew that Lemonade was robbed. If, out of all the Beyonce albums, yeah. like Lemonade and Self-Titled both deserve nominations. I cannot to this day believe that Beyonce Giselle knows Carter who has given us 
dangerously in love, who has given us B-Day, who has given us I Am Sasha Fierce, who has given us four self-titled Lemonade and the Homecoming Live album. And that's not to speak of the Destiny's Child catalog. And she's never won album of the year. How? (laughs) Taylor Swift did not deserve to win it twice. Not even Michael Jackson has won album of the year twice. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not, it's not, no, no. There's too many other people out there who deserve it. I'm not saying she never deserved it. I'm just saying that, like, I don't know what the Recording Academy is going to do to fix it, but they really haven't, they really have been making just the, to, to the point where people have stopped going to the Grammys. Rihanna stopped going after they played anti as she should have. You know, Beyonce hasn't been since the lemonade issue. Like, it's just like Drake hasn't been in a long time, like, because he feels a way about it. Like, they're just literally continuously losing their credibility because it's not even that people are looking at these artists like, oh, you got to do better. People are looking at the Grammys like, you got to do better. Right. (sighs) Yeah, I can't even like think about it too long about like that moment when Beyonce lost to Adele. And I fucking love Adele. I mean, like, but even Adele was like, (laughs) this is bullshit. You know, it's bad when the person who wins the award, like people work their whole lives to win this award is looking at y'all like, what are you doing? Like. And the, the time before that was when Beck won. And I'm still, I don't care. I like, who the fuck is Beck? Where, where has, I, I, still, I still don't know. Like, I still don't know. Same. <laughs> like, y'all just, I still don't know who Beck Beyonce is. Beyonce has given us so much. And they just refused because I think it's kind of, it's petty at this point. It's nothing but petty. I feel like at this point, it's like people consider it cliche to love Beyonce. And it's like, no. You have to respect. Like, my thing is, like, I don't respect people who can't respect Beyonce. I understand you saying, like, her music may not be your type of music. Or maybe she's not your favorite pop vocalist. Like, that's cool. But what you, you can't watch a black woman rise up, take control of her own management and brand and all of it and perform the way she does and you don't have to buy a ticket to see it. it's right there on the netflix queue if you want to check it out you can't <laughs> see somebody go for three hours two hours like that and not respect it like just not respect it that means that you're just a hater right right uh we'll do one last one people not putting on lotion daily after showers <sighs> God, you know matt i didn't even know that this was a thing until I was uh-huh. grown. Shout out to <laughs> shout out to Tracy and Heaven, um, our former colleagues, because it wasn't until another round did that man on the street where they went around asking white people if they wore if they put on lotion. And I thought it was a joke. Like I remember when I heard the premise, I'm like, oh, lol, that's funny. Like they're gonna say yes, obviously, because what else are they gonna say? Right. And then like I'm listening to the episode and hearing people. Talk about it like, oh, I know, I you know, it's so funny. I had a black girlfriend and she ever since, like, I've I've been on it, but nobody ever told me before. <laughs> and I'm like, you mean to tell, what did, after your mother's, like, did they not, after they bathed you, did they not put lotion on you? Did you just decide that that was a step once you started to bathe yourself that you could skip? <laughs> I was so aghast, Matt. I couldn't even, but like, I just, I get that white skin does not so a- show ashiness the same way black skin does. <laughs> But I know you feel it. Like, I know it still feels tight. Like, it made me realize that, like, is this whole thing about us aging better, 
like black don't crack is it really just that we've been moisturizing this whole time and everybody else (laughs) hasn't because i promise you that's the secret like if you don't want to crack put on lotion (laughs) like that's literally (laughs) all you have to do consistently (laughs) i mean this is the part where i admit that I don't lotion everywhere after I shower. I, I've gotten much better about lotioning. I mean, I, I have a whole face routine. Yeah. My hands are also, like, at this point, 90 years old because of how much, <laughs> just in the past two no, yeah, months, that's changed things. how much I've been washing. <laughs> Skin is a living organism that lives on your body, and it needs to be hydrated, like, just like the rest of you. <laughs> well, I will take that inspiration and apply it. Baby steps, um, Matt. But I'm more, happy. I'm happy that you're at least you know taking care of the face because that's the money maker right there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that a beautiful note, I think we'll we'll wrap up there. Before we let you go, where can people find you and your work? Yes, I'm at Sylvia Obell. That's S Y L V I A O B E L L. I'm on all platforms. Um, and sylviaobell.com is where you can find the highlights of my work and links to where you can find it elsewhere. And also, obviously, okay, now listen, you can find it wherever podcasts are streamed. You know, if you're an Apple girl, it's there. If you're a Joy girl, it's on Spotify. Like, it's on all the places. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much. You were a joy as always. I just adore you. And I miss seeing your face. So I'm glad I got to. I know. And um, I'm glad I get to listen to your voice and, and more things now. Yes, I'm so glad we got to collab again. Like, it's so alum of us. I know. Like, <laughs> on the other side, <laughs> being colleagues, we still work together. I love it. All right, it's time for our new segment, Do Better White People, where we talk about some of the things that we can do uh, and that hopefully you can do to be better allies. I'll start off. Uh, It has been an especially difficult week for black trans women. Mm -hmm. Um, Two black trans women were reported murdered just this past week. Uh, Raya Milton in Ohio and Dominique Remy Fells in Philadelphia. Not to mention Tony McDade, who was a black trans man who was shot and killed by police in Florida at the end of May. So just like a lot of horrible things. And of course, I've said before about um, the murder rates, the incarceration rates for black trans people, um, especially black trans women, are exponentially higher than for any other category of people. And then, yeah, then you also had like J.K. Rowling talking some nonsense. Oh, God. (laughs) Just like truly baffling that someone who has like absolutely could have kept her mouth shut (laughs) and like like gone the rest of her life being remembered as someone who gave us Harry Potter, but decided this week that she was going to like double down on shitty stuff that she said about trans people in the past. Um, I truly love that Daniel Radcliffe didn't just put out a statement like on social media, but that he actually did it with the Trevor project and on their website, which then like brought up (laughs) trafficking for them. Like I just, I love that. And also it's just so fucked up. Yeah. And then uh, on June 12th, you had, um, which was the anniversary of the pulse nightclub shooting where 49 LGBT people were, were killed. The Trump administration decided to use that anniversary to announce that it was finalizing um, rolling back protections for LGBT people in in healthcare. Um, like why? Which is like 
just pure, it's just cruel and evil. All that being said, it has not been a great week for trans women, for black trans women, for black trans people in general. So I wanted to highlight three organizations. Um, The Cut actually put together a great list of uh, organizations that you can support, specifically black-led LGBTQ organizations. We can link to that in the notes. A few of them that I contributed to that I wanted to highlight. One is called the Okra Project. Oh, yeah, Um, I've heard. It's amazing. Yeah, they're a collective. They bring home-cooked, healthy, and culturally specific meals to Black trans people across the country. Um, Basically, they pay Black trans chefs to go into the homes of other Black transgender people and cook them meals free of charge. So that's a great project to help support. Um, There's also the LGBTQ plus Freedom Fund, which posts bail. It's another it's another bail fund. A lot of these bail funds that people have been contributing to have said, like, we have we have a lot now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, please direct your money to the places that really, really need it right now. Um, And this is one of them, the LGBTQ plus Freedom Fund. They post bail to secure the safety and liberty of people in jail and and, in immigrant detention. And then the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, um, which is, I I believe, the official institute set up in memory of Marsha P. Johnson. And they are like an advocacy group for uh, specifically black transgender people. Uh, So three great organizations to support. And we can link to that full list. Pick one of them, a few of them, all of them set up some recurring donations. I also wanted to mention, so a couple of people called this out. Last time I mentioned the Netflix documentary, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. There is a little bit of controversy around it. So that Netflix documentary was made by a cisgendered white gay guy. Mm. Um, There is a trans woman named Tourmaline. I think I'm pronouncing that right who says that he stole the idea from her. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. Who was like this, the place where like she originally pitched an idea for a documentary about Marsha. This guy, I guess, was there. And like, she says he overheard and then like explicitly said, I can do this better and you should let me do this. And then he like just went and did it. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, Not great. Uh, Tourmaline also um, directed or co-directed a film about Marsha B. Johnson. It's only 15 minutes and it's on Amazon Prime called Happy Birthday, Marsha. So if you watched The Death and Life of Marsha B. Johnson, go go watch Happy Birthday, Marsha on Prime. What are you highlighting this week? So I want to highlight a, a day that honors Black freedom and Black resistance and centers Black people's unique contribution to the struggle for justice in the U.S. And that is Juneteenth. I didn't know that it was a holiday. I didn't know that it was a day. I didn't know anything about it until the 2016 episode of Atlanta about Juneteenth. That was the first time in my whole freaking life that I had ever heard about it, which is just insane. But Yeah, for, they don't teach this. No, it's I, it's, it is absurd. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about Juneteenth and something that you can do 
uh, on that day. So for those who don't know, Juneteenth memorializes June 19th, 1865, which is when a Union general named Gordon Granger read orders in Galveston, Texas, that all previously enslaved people in Texas were free. So technically, emancipation had formally freed slaves about two and a half years before that. And the American Civil War ended in April that year. But Texas literally didn't get the memo because they were very far away. And also because, you know, like racism and stuff, it was harder to enforce it in that state. But on June 19th, slaves in Texas were finally free. So now it's a day that honors black freedom. So the Movement for Black Lives, which is an organization, uh, they put together a mobilization called 619. You can use the hashtag 619 if you want to look it up. And it's a bunch of action items that you can do next weekend. So you can follow them for more about the action items next weekend or text DEFEND to 90975. This will all be in our show notes. And also, while you're at it, go watch that episode of Atlanta. It's called Juneteenth, and it's so good. So, yeah. Nice. All right. Well, we're almost there. We're almost at the end of the show. But first, our chasers. Chasers are the good stuff that help all the bad shit go down easier, starting with the TV we've been watching this week. Barry, what you been watching? Well, Matt, I have been working absurdly late every single night. Um, I just I, I have not had time to watch TV, sadly, this past week, but I am hoping to get back into it this upcoming week. <laughs> That's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What are you watching? I can't believe you didn't watch any new TV shows this week. <laughs> um, well, I have two, so I'll fill in for you. Oh, thank you. One is called What We Do in the Shadows. Have you watched I this? I loved that movie <laughs> so much, but I have not yet watched the show. I have. I'd never seen the movie. So if you don't know, it, it was a movie and now it's a show on FX. Um, it's available on Hulu. It is a like mockumentary show about this group of vampires that live on Staten Island. Um it's yeah, it's like a mix of the it's like if the office were about vampires, basically. You know who originally directed it, right? Taika Watiti. Hell yeah. Our Hawkeye March Madness runner up. Yeah. Um, he, I believe, directed the um or bunch of the first season. <gasps> really? At oh. least the first at least the pilot. Yeah. I need to watch it. But it's just like it's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb, but also fun and um yeah. It's a nice, like, just stupid thing to watch. Uh, and then also a, a brand new show that just premiered on HBO called I May Destroy You. Ooh, that is on my list. Yeah. At the time of this recording, there was only one episode. There might be two by the time this episode comes out. Um, but it is from Michaela Cole, who, if you haven't watched um, Chewing, Chewing Gum... Gum which is her show that's on Netflix. You should go watch that. Oh, She's a so favorite. funny. She's just one of like, I love her so much. It's a, it's like a, a, a funny show uh, about uh, um, this character who is attempting to write a book. The first episode is about her promising to um, deliver a book by the morning and um, deciding to go out and party instead. <laughs> um, Remember when we used to be able to go out relatable. and party? <laughs> every show about going outside is pure sex and fantasy right now i love it anyway so both of those shows highly recommend what is your non-tv chaser my non-tv chaser do you have one of those oh 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 
I do, <laughs> because it's been bringing me a lot of calm energy this week. Uh huh. Um, I I I've been doing this for a while, but I like I have a little thing of lavender essential oil that I never used, and I didn't know what to use it for. And then we started just putting like a couple of drops into the tub before we turn the shower on. Mm -hmm. So then when you're in the shower and the shower is getting hot, it becomes like an aromatherapy bath, basically. And it is so calming and nice and also just makes the whole bathroom smell nice after your shower. And it's just a little thing that has really uh, been bringing me a lot of joy. Beautiful. Yeah. What about you? What's your non-TV chaser? Mine is riding bikes. What? <laughs> yeah. For the first time ever, I used a, a city bike here in New York, which is the oh my goodness. bike rental thing. Um yeah, I truly have not ridden a bike in at least eight years. <sighs> I just like, when am I going to ride a bike? Someone was shocked when I said that. Like, where? No, in New York City, it's a death sentence riding a bike down these streets. But finally, this last weekend, I was like, fuck. I, I, I went to meet someone in Central Park and I, um, yeah, to try to, I'm, I'm trying to get more comfortable with going outside and socializing at a distance. I'm still very yeah. uncomfortable about the idea of like being in a crowd right now. Um, but I was like, I'll go to a park and sit far away. <laughs> and uh, I still don't want to take an Uber or public transportation if I can avoid it. So I was like, I'll rent a bike. And I forgot how much fun it is. Also, how difficult it is. Riding a bike is not <laughs> easy. There are way more hills than I realized in, in Manhattan. There's way more <laughs> uphill and downhill than I thought. But um, it was very satisfying. And on the way back, we had to we had to leave because it started like downpouring. And uh, I was it was like I just like riding a bike in the rain when it's warm outside and the rain is is slapping you in the face what a joy anyway that's it so thank you for listening to unhappy hour you can head to apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher wherever you get podcasts hit that subscribe button and then rate us and review us but only if it's nice i don't want to hear your shit Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Melissa Slaughter, and me, Matt Bellisai. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Our music is by Hans Dale Sue. You can bother Barry at Finkelberry Pie. You can worship me at Matt Bellisai. And you can follow Unhappy Hour Pod on Twitter for all the latest podcast buzz. You can also leave us a voicemail on our rant hotline at 601-600-RANT. That's 601-600-7268. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Where did you come from?